The following audio is from Harvest Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Amen. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, worship team. What a blessing. If you guys want to meet me in Romans 8, that's where we're going to be momentarily. I um, assume many of y'all are here at the 11 o'clock because you were up late watching college football last night. I couldn't help but notice a whole lot of uh, red and blue of Ole Miss colors. I see a lot of that out there. You're just basking in the Shekinah glory. The Alabama and Auburn fans are sackcloth and ashes. And then you LSU people ought to be ashamed of yourselves. Beating little old God-fearing Auburn like that. That just wasn't right. But that's okay. Sunday morning's for repentance. And uh, y'all need it. All right. Um, Romans 8 is where we've been and where we're going to be this morning. I'm fired up about this chapter. We, we said um, last week that, that many scholars would, would argue this is like the culminating chapter of, of Romans, and Romans is the climactic book of the Bible, and if you kind of put that together, this is some kind of a chapter. Uh, we really just get to marvel at the wondrous mystery of the gospel in this chapter. It just, it's like taking a diamond that is more beautiful than anything you've ever seen and just shining lights on different facets of the diamond all the way through this chapter. And so I'm excited. We're going to shine the light on verses uh, four, second half of verse 4 through verse 11 this morning. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that uh, we can be with you um, and we can experience your presence with us through the reality and the power and the enablement of the Holy Spirit, um, your spirit, uh, the, that mysterious third person of the Trinity, which, Lord, it's admittedly hard to get our minds around and hard to understand. And this morning in this text, uh, it's all about life and living according to the Spirit. And so will you give us illumination by the power of your spirit to understand who you are, Holy Spirit, and what you're doing in our lives and how we can not just better understand you, but better, uh, uh, better be with you and better, uh, more desire uh, just your filling in our lives. And so I pray that you would illumine us to that, to these truths that would do that in our hearts. Father, I pray in this time that uh, you must increase and uh, I must decrease. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So, chapter 8, if you were here uh, last week, and again, this is kind of the third leg of a, of a three-legged series. We did Romans 6 and 7, July and August. Took a little pause for um, uh, Harvest DNA. It was, thought it was important to refresh the systems of uh, where we are as a church, uh, what classes are going to be available this fall, and how you get involved in the discipleship community, which is our small groups. And, and so we, we thought that that was an important, timely thing to do, and, and now we're going back into sanctified, to be made new, and, and now we're in chapter 8, which, uh, again, it's just kind of the climactic part, so hopefully you've still got your context from 6 and 7. Last week, I did a long runway, so this week, very short runway, and that is to say kind of the point of last week, the idea of there is no, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ is that, that it's gone, like that, like that we don't have to live in the guilt and shame and despair, and, and not even that it's gone temporarily and comes back when you sin, and it's gone temporarily and comes back when you sin, but that it's gone, 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 like it's gone, and Jesus told that woman uh, that was about to be stoned for her adulterous ways, uh, neither do I condemn you, and it's out of his approval and out of that freedom that the gospel brings, now go and sin no more. Like our identity has changed and we live now, our, our, our character will match our identity. And that's what we're going to see in this chapter. Uh, that theology last week, and if you, if you kind of just hear this again, I hope you got this last week. But to hear it again, this is rich and this is good and I just don't want it to fly over our heads. The idea that um, what the law couldn't do for us, 
meaning it couldn't make us righteous. It could point us perfectly to righteousness, just couldn't get us there because it was weakened by the flesh, our flesh. So here we are, all of us sinners, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. What the law couldn't do, weakened by the flesh, God did it. Isn't that great? Like he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. How did he do it? Sent his son in the likeness of human, um, uh, sinful man, sorry, sent his son in the likeness of sinful man, this is last week's text, and came as an offering to sin. That cross is an emblem reminding us that he paid the price in our place for our sin. And it says he condemned sin in the flesh. In his flesh, he condemned sin. The idea was, we saw it in that adulterous woman. She doesn't have to be condemned because he's, condemned, he's going to condemn her sin in his flesh. We don't have to be condemned because he's condemned our sin. Instead of us, our sin in his flesh. He took the hit. And so understand this, uh, the demands of the law are perfection. We can't get there. And the wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ accomplished them both perfectly. That he met the demands of the law. He was perfect. He paid the price for our sin. And so again, what the law couldn't do, God did, sending his only son in the likeness of sinful man. And so, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the righteous requirement of the law has been met in us. How did it get met in us? Because you were good enough? Say no. No, because he was good enough. And he took the hit for us. And so he took our sin, condemned it, and he imputed us, big word, cover it later, his righteousness. We get it. Martin Luther said that's the great exchange. He who was perfect takes our sin. We who were very imperfect get his righteousness. Isn't that incredible? That's the gospel. And what verse four is gonna pick up on this morning is that there's something true of these gospel people. There's something true of the person who has been converted, who has been born again, ultimately who's been justified, which is to be declared righteous in the midst of your sin. You're not righteous. Don't be too proud of yourselves. All you did was sin. Okay, Jesus did the rest. You got lost. He found you. He paid the price for you. He redeemed you. He adopts you. He gives the spirit to enable you to live unlike you used to live. All Jesus. So don't be proud. Don't be self-righteous. But if you've been declared righteous because of the great exchange happening in your life by grace through faith, you didn't earn it, then here's what's true of you. Verse four, part B. Well, let's go ahead and start in part A so you catch it. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That's why God sent Jesus, that we might be actually declared righteous even though we can't adhere to the law because we're weakened by the flesh. So the law will be, the righteous requirement of the law will be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. There's something that will be true of those who are justified. Listen to me, it will be true. Those who have been declared righteous by grace, we, we can't earn it. How do we receive it? Paul spent all of chapter four and five, we covered that last summer, it's through faith, it's through faith, it's us trusting him to stand in our place in judgment that he has stood there, it's trusting him to do in us what we can't do for ourselves. By grace through faith, those who've been declared righteous, something's now true. And what's true, Paul says in verse four, is they will walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So what does that mean? To walk is the idea of to live, so they'll live not according to the flesh. What, was it, what does it look like to live according to the flesh? We talked last week about the flesh. Uh, remember, I used the illustration of my, uh, my third son, Jonathan, and that dog that just kept circling him that just said, I've got to be fed. That dog's got, John said, it won't, 
It's making me look at it. That's what the flesh does. And there's cravings of the flesh. And the flesh just wants to be satisfied. The flesh doesn't really care if it's in your best interest spiritually, long term. Doesn't care how much pain it's brought. Doesn't care what the Bible says. Just wants to be satisfied. From natural desires to sinful desires. The flesh craves and it wants to be fulfilled in things of this world. Things that only temporally satisfy. That's why the flesh is never full. It never says, okay, thanks, I'm good. No need to feed me anymore. It's always there circling. It always wants, it's always craving. And so to live according to the flesh is simply this. It's to be dominated by, mastered by the cravings of your flesh. So your flesh wants uh, a, a new job. You know, this job is, is boring or you don't like it or it doesn't pay enough. And, and you think, if I just had that job, which probably means you're coveting a job that someone else has that you know of because you want their life and not your life. So there's a lot of things going on right there. But that, and that's what Paul's problem is, that I keep coveting things that aren't mine. If you just had that car, if it just had that bank account, if it just had that spouse or that life or no spouse or whatever it is, the flesh has a, cra- it has a way of wanting and craving and not leaving you alone. Now, if you live to fulfill it, you may have the ability to fulfill a lot of the cravings of your flesh and you'll then find out they don't ultimately satisfy. Other times, you may not even, I can't buy that house, I can't, I can't have that job, I, I can't, you know, whatever it is, but the idea that you're mastered by that desire, like you're gonna live a life of defeat because you can't have what the flesh wants. Or you're gonna have, you know, you'd be really roller coaster ride of the flesh gets what it wants and you're on cloud nine until it just once again and you can't have it and then you're dropping out and it's just this roller coaster. And ultimately, you're a slave to the flesh. That'd be living according to the flesh. Like it's master and I try to please it and as much as I can is as much as I'm temporally satisfied. And you know how we all kind of understand this without me doing a great job of explaining that? You know how we kind of understand it? We've all been there. Some of us are still there today, but we've all been there. Paul said in Ephesians, um, when, you were dead, uh, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now working those who are disobedient. Listen, all of us also, all of us also, he's talking to the church, all of us also lived among them at one time. Get this, satisfying the cravings of our sinful flesh, following his desires and thoughts. We were by nature objects of wrath. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Now, that was true of all of us. And, and you may be there now going, yeah, what else is there? And I'm glad you're here this morning. You're going to learn about another way of life. But we all go, yeah, I used to be controlled by my flesh. Whatever it wanted controlled me until I had it, and then it was never enough. And that was the broken record of my life. But Paul says those who have been The righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in them, meaning simply, you're in Christ Jesus and he's in you. They don't live according to the flesh. They have a privilege. They now live not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Spirit being the spirit of God, who in verse one he called the spirit of life, who if you're in Christ, he's in you which gives you illumination to understand those things that your flesh craves for don't actually satisfy. By the way, I wish that meant the flesh would quit craving. Anybody else? Like, I wish it would get it. It won't satisfy, leave me alone. It doesn't, it doesn't care. It doesn't care what you think, it doesn't care what you memorize, it doesn't care what the word says, it's gonna crave. But you can have a different mind that knows that it'll never satisfy and knows where satisfaction is found in the presence of the Lord. 
So you can replace what doesn't satisfy with what does satisfy, and now you can have what the scriptures will say in a moment is life and righteousness as opposed to despairing and death. That's good, right? Like that's what the Holy Spirit does in us, and life according to the Spirit is that understanding. Doesn't mean we're sinless, but we'll sin less, and we'll feel a whole lot worse about what we do sin. Nobody amens that part, but it's true too. Grieve, man, it quenches and it grieves our spirit. The spirit who's inside of us because we're living a life now according to the spirit. He's in charge. Um, you know, the reason, the reason this is the case and the reason we experience uh, what we do in, in life according to the spirit, which by the way, it's, it's the privilege of the saint. Paul doesn't know of any kind of justification, any kind of righteous requirement of law is filled in you and yet there's no life according to the spirit. It's at will. That's how you identify those who have been saved, life according to the spirit, not the flesh. They look different, and there's a reason. Um, uh, God prophesied this all the way back in the Old Testament. Um, he spoke through his prophet Jeremiah, and he, he talked about what would be one day the new covenant. And I want you to look at what he says about the new covenant. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Isn't that something? Like there's one day this Mosaic law which is written on tablets which you strive to obey, but ultimately, even if you externally obey, internally you're still sick, you just gotta make these sacrifices. One day, I'm gonna put that law on your hearts and my spirit will be with you. That's how I'm gonna take the law of God and write it onto your heart by putting my spirit in you. Do you know that's the new covenant that we actually live in? We don't go, wow, what would that be like? That's life in Christ. Life in Christ Jesus means the law of God is written on your heart by the Spirit of God who's alive in you. You have a totally different governor at work in you and uh, directing and guiding how you live this life. That's why the Spirit's called the helper. He's called the guide. Um, it's kind of like a GPS system. I'm in, the, I'm in the market for a vehicle. I've been looking for a vehicle, test driving vehicles. And one of the big selling points is they always want to tell me which vehicle, the newer models or latest stuff, is going to have the in-car navigation. Huge, got to have it. Never had it before, but you got to have it. And the in-car navigation, and here's the idea that I will be going down um, a path. Maybe I'm in the right direction, but about to go in the wrong. Maybe I'm already in the wrong direction. And, uh, and unbeknownst to me, there is peril ahead. I don't know where I am. I'm about to be lost this is a danger, maybe I know I'm lost and don't know how to get found, and what this promises me is that I won't be alone in that moment, and it won't just be a blue dot on a screen that I can't tell if it's getting off to the right or the left, and it gets confusing, I'm about to slide across lanes of traffic trying to get on the right. I'm not alone, and it's not just a dot. Here's what it means, in-car navigation. It means there is somebody with you that somehow is, is way above your situation, way beyond, knows what you can't possibly know about where you are, where you're going, the danger that lies ahead, and where you need to go, and they will speak to you from within. And a quarter mile, take a ride. Okay, about two actives higher, really sweet. She'll speak to you, okay? Now, that's the Holy Spirit for any Christian no such thing as a Christian without it. We're gonna see that in verse nine. I don't wanna steal my own thunder, but trust me, it's coming. If you're justified, factory-installed, spirit GPS. So there is with you, some, not just something, someone who is beyond your circumstance. Like he can see what you can't see, knows where you are, where you're going, where danger is, where life is, where you wanna go, even if you don't know you wanna go there, and he will speak to you from within. 
got a built-in GPS. Comes at the point of salvation. Can't be saved without it. We're gonna see the theology of that in just a moment. And so Paul says, those who have the righteous requirement of law, they're gonna live a life according to the Spirit. They've got a different voice in them. They've got, now, can we, can we push mute on this touchstone in-car voice navigation? Yes, we can tone it down, we can mute it, we can punch it, we can get mad at it. It's still there, and especially when we talk, the Holy Spirit's not going anywhere. We can bring all kind of pain and difficulty into our life by not listening to his voice, but he's there, and he's there to stay. If you're born again, you won't be unborn again. If he's there, he never leaves you nor forsakes you. He's there, and he will keep speaking truth. And our role is to cooperate, to listen. The more we surrender to his voice, the more we learn that right where flesh led us to death, his voice leads us to life and righteousness. Let's watch it happen here in verse five. For those that live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's kind of an obvious statement, kind of a little idiom there, I mean, like, no kidding. If they're, if they're living according to the flesh, clearly they're might, like they are craving that which satisfies. They can't not. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You know what this verse says, if you, if you want to just make a note? This says that you, your character will be revealed by your identity. That's what it says. Your character, how you act, what people see, is going to reveal what's true of you. Character reveals your identity. Character reveals your identity. Do you know why a dog scratches itself? You know, just the incessant scratching. You know why they do that? This is a little technical. I read this somewhere. It's a little scientific. Stay with me. Because they're a dog. <laughs> you heard it here. That's it. There's no, it's just, there. And, and what's in them Scratches itself. You ever see, see a flock of geese head off in formation, flying south? Just, I love to watch the way they, like, there's no way in those sounds they make there's some elaborate communication. They instinctively know how to switch places, how to get and where the wind is perfect and go in there, and they always know where they're going even though there's no one up there directing traffic. Like, they just know they're geese. You know how a cat hacks up fur balls? I have no idea why I can't hex up for balls. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you this. Character reveals identity. It reveals who you are. You can't fake it very long. And so what's, let me tell you about an unconverted mind. Let me tell you about someone who is not a Christian, doesn't have the spirit. Their mind will be set on the flesh. Let me tell you what's going to be true of them. They're not going to have much appetite for the word of God. And they're not going to have a great desire to be in church among the people of God, listening to somebody talk about the truth of the word of God. They're not going to desire deep time in prayer with God. Why not? They're lost. And their character reveals their identity. It tells us what's true of them. It tells you what's true of you. And that's something that tells you what's true of you. What about somebody that's saved by grace through faith? What about someone who's been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son? You know what will be true of this guy? This guy, unbeknownst to himself, all of a sudden he's got longings and desires that never previously existed. Why in the world are you, what are you guys doing here this morning? No, I'm serious, what are y'all doing? Like you got nothing better to do? Like it's Sunday morning, it's 11, I mean you could have slept in, you could be having a, a brunch somewhere and I mean, I don't know. There's all kind of things you could be doing. There's some reason you're here. Now, some of you might be here because you feel like it's what you should do. 
And you're sitting here going, hey, men, what am I doing here? I don't have to be here. But there's more of you, likely, that are here going, what do you mean, what am I doing here? Nowhere I'd rather be. Are you serious? Yeah. Why is that true of you? Was that always true of you? No, gosh, no. What do you mean, what happened in there? Well, I used to hate the things of God. Now I crave the things of God. I wish we could do this. I wish we could like huddle up and do this if it was only uh, logistically possible every day before we, I mean, just huddle up, praise God together, pray for one another, hear a devotional, let's go like this. There's nothing I would rather than this. I want to tell you, that's not the flesh in you craving that. We're gonna see in the next verse, the flesh is hostile to God. And if you're living according to the flesh, this is the worst possible, imaginable environment that you could be in. But if you're living according to the spirit, there's something in you that just wishes we could do more of this. Can we just linger in God's word and hear what he has to say about my life? There's something inside of you that hears these words and says, amen, and, and you might even be convicted by it, but something in you says, yes. That internal GPS is saying, that's true. Follow that. It's like floodlights that cast light upon the cross. All you see is the cross. You don't see the floodlights, but there's something putting light on the cross. That's the spirit in you shedding light on the truth. And if you're alive to the Spirit, we crave that more. Um, this is why Jesus told Nicodemus, you gotta be born again. Like, the, like you, you, you gotta be born again. Now, Nicodemus goes, uh, what? Like you, you, you have to, how are you supposed to be born of your mother's womb again? Which is kind of like scribe language for say what? You know, like that doesn't make any sense. And, and he, Jesus is not saying you need to physically be born again. What do we already know is true of that? I don't care how many times you are physically reborn with another shot at righteousness, we will always fail. Even if we get it finally adhered to the letter of the law externally, we'll still be sick in our heart. We'll always fail. Jesus, you don't need to be physically born again. That would be like being uh, digging your way out of one cell that you're in, that you hate, that you're enslaved to, only to come up on the other side and find yourself in a new cell. What's the best you could hope for? A new cell. Jesus says, you gotta be born again from above. You have to be born spiritually where all of a sudden you find yourself in a radically new environment. I always think of uh, Andy Dufresne in Shawshank Redemption. When he comes out, and, and it's an elaborate plan, takes who knows how many years, and he digs his way out of his cell where he's imprisoned. And he, he climbs down the boiler room and he goes out and he, he, he swims through just sewage, I think. And, uh, and he comes out, I don't know how far he is, he's like maybe a mile from the rock there, and he comes out, and when he finally stands up, you see this awesome picture of a guy who's been freed. He's got his arms out, and he's covered in filth, but he stands up with this just wonderment and joy, just inexpressible joy on his face, and the rain is coming out, and it's washing him clean. And this man is not in another cell. He's free. And if you were to interview Mr. Dufresne, you know what he'd find out? Ain't no way you could convince him that he'd rather be back in that cell. You talk to a Christian who has that governor, that GPS inside of him. Even though there's times we mute it, even though we make things hard on ourselves, even though the flesh still craves and sometimes we still feed that dog, a Christian looks at where he was knowing where he is and grimaces at the idea of going back. Not going back. And I got good news. You don't have to. I got even better news. You can't. He won't let you. He won't let you go back. 
And so Jesus says, you've gotta be born again. Look at verse six. To set the mind on the flesh is death. Isn't that something? If you're living according to the flesh, here's what we've learned, you'll always be craving it. And guess what the result is? Death. It's kind of despairing, isn't it, Sam? Death, like that. Like you'll always be craving that which brings death. Look at the flip. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. When we can surrender, to, when we can say yes, we can listen to the GPS inside, you know what we get? Inevitably, life and peace. You'd think, we, you'd think we'd learn. You'd think this old man, this old flesh would die quicker. But boy, does it die hard. Doesn't matter how many lessons it gets, it doesn't care. It is stubborn. It is obstinate. But the truth is, you'll find death if you follow the flesh. You'll find life and peace if you follow the spirit. Verse seven, for the mind that is set on the flesh, here is that verse, it's hostile to God. I don't know if you guys are like me, sometimes I'm real nervous about sharing my faith with somebody. Sometimes I'll have like a spirit-led conviction like, whoa, this is a great chance to share my faith with somebody. Matter of fact, didn't tell the story in the first service, but last night I'm, I'm, um, I'm selling my car in part of the process. And uh, the, the folks that came to uh, look at my car uh, three of them came, and they're Muslims. And we started talking briefly, and they shared with me they're Muslims. And, you know, I, I had this conviction, like, man, wouldn't, maybe God sent them to me. I don't know if the car will be a part of this or not, but maybe it's that, so I can share the gospel. Um, and immediately, I'm nervous. Why am I nervous? What, you know what my assumption is? <laughs> that if and when I can find a moment to share the truth of the gospel, you know what my assumption is? they will be hostile towards the things of God. You know how I've built up that assumption over time? I've shared the gospel many times, and occasionally it's obvious that the Lord beat me there. <laughs> like, like, you know, somebody's been here. Wait, what's going on? Like, you'll share the gospel and you can't even get the name Jesus out before they're repenting in tears and receiving. Occasionally. And you know, the Spirit's been at work. Somebody's been, there's been seeds and there's been water and you just happen to punt it and boom, But you know what normally happens? You find someone, I find someone, that is hostile to the things of God. They may be politely hostile, but they know with a deep conviction, no, no, no. Hey, uh, I see what you're doing. Don't try to push your faith on me. Okay, that's fine for you, it's not okay for me. Doesn't have to work like that for everybody. Uh, Maybe even, that's really what you believe? Like, you believe that? Like, they've got a darkening. Doesn't allow them to see truth. They are governors of the flesh, and the flesh is saying, push that, flesh is neutral. Flesh knows you're gonna crucify me if you receive that. Pushes that away, hostile to the things of God. So if your life is according to the flesh, here's what we know so far. You're gonna crave that which the flesh craves. It's gonna lead you to despairing and death and you're gonna be hostile to the things of God. That's what's true of you if you're not in Christ. And on the flip side, well, no, 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 I'm sorry. Continuing, not only is the flesh... Uh, hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law. Well, that's kind of a no-brainer. If it's hostile to God, but, but here's what this means, because look at the next phrase. Indeed, it cannot. Ideas, even if, even if you were in a, 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 you were sharing your faith and somebody goes, okay, okay, you know what? Fine, my life's not going too good for me right now. I don't know about this whole Jesus thing, but I'm gonna try it your way. I'll live life according to the Spirit. I'm gonna give it a week. Even if they try, they can't. Ever tried to live righteous according to the law in and of your own strength? Even in your best hour, 
Your heart is so desperately wretched and sick. I, I'd, hate, I'd hate there to be a tally on the screen. All right, Kenan's gonna go for it in and of his own flesh this morning. We're gonna all, t- we're gonna, instead of having a sermon for 45 minutes, we're gonna see how he does. And every time he has a, you know, God-fearing, healthy, wholesome, noble aspiration, thought, or desire, we're gonna get, you know, a, you know, a number's gonna appear on the screen. And every time there's some prideful, selfish ambition, lustful, deceitful, fleshly thought, this thing's gonna pop up a number. Can we not do that? Because I don't care how hard I try to not live in the flesh, if the Spirit of God is not in me and I'm not surrendered to it, I've got no chance. Someone that doesn't have the Spirit in them has no ability. They can't, even if they want to live a good, righteous life. I'm gonna be a good guy, not a bad guy. I'm not gonna live like all the people you hear about and read about. I'm gonna, and hey, do you think you're going to heaven? I think so. If anybody gets there, I'll do. I've been a good person. Even if you put your best foot forward in and of your own self, you cannot please God. You can't fulfill the law and you can't please God. That's why you need a savior. That's why you need one who lived in a way that could please God that took your place in judgment so you can receive his righteousness as he receives your sin and condemned it in his flesh. Amen. That's what we need. That's our only hope. Paul says, no one, can please God, slash favor. Those who are in the flesh cannot. No one can please God apart from the spirit at work in their lives. Even our good deeds are what? Filthy rags. Filthy rags, even our good deeds. Because there's some hidden, dark, selfish motivation always. If you dig deep enough, you'll find yourself in there. Now, let me just sum what Paul said right here in five through eight. You know what he said in five? Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Yep, and you know what that means? The flesh leads to death, verse six. In verse seven, not only does it lead to death, hostile to God, doesn't submit to the law, and even if it tried, it can't. It's unable to please God. Now I wanna tell you, isn't that kind of a despairing train of thought? You read verses uh, five through eight, and it's kinda like, you know, just kicking a guy while he's down. You know, it's just this one after, it's just piling on. And the big overarching theme is the despairing pathological road that a lost person is going down even if they don't know it and even if they try to resist it. That's just what's true of them. By the way, all of us lived among them at one time. It was what was once true of you and I. And so verse nine is one of my favorite verses in, uh, in Romans eight. Verse nine says, first two words, you, however, just stop right there. Isn't that good? Oh man, the fact that there's a however Right? If you're in the flesh, craving of the flesh, leading you to death, hostility towards God, despairing all the way till death apart from him and you can't please him no matter what you try to do in and of yourself. Ah, you however, meaning there's something categorically different about you who are in Christ than about those on that pathological road to despairing and death that we just talked about. Isn't that one of the best howevers? Like, I'd make a mark, I'd circle, I'd do something like, remind yourself that you are not living a life according to the flesh, merely. You are living a life according to the spirit. And here's the clause. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, this is like a ginormous if in the Bible. Because <laughs> this is everything. Either your flesh, uh, Craving is just always trying to be satisfied and what will never ultimately satisfy you, lead you to death, hostility to God, apart from him, you can't please him like that story, or life and peace. And here's the difference, ready? 
You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. That's the entire ball of wax. If the spirit of God is in you, you got a guarantee. You're going somewhere and he's taking you there and he'll get you there. If he's not in you, you have no chance. That's what nine tells us. That is incredible news to the Christian. To the non-Christian with a mind that is hostile to God, um, that's probably pretty offensive. And the gospel in that way, it offends. It stands on its own precepts and says it's just what's true. Let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the Spirit. Spirit's mysterious, third person of the Trinity, hard to understand. If I were to tell you, I think the Holy Spirit, I think the Holy Spirit in one nutshell is to make God real to us. Like he's God and we experience God through the Spirit. So Holy Spirit makes God tangible. That's the one overarching purpose of the Spirit. If you were to break that into kind of the three roles he plays, he plays a regenerating work in our life. Like apart from the Spirit, none of us get saved. Understand that if you have repented of your, if you've noticed that your sin was leading to despair and if you all of a sudden have a distaste for sin and a desire for Christ, you didn't get there by yourself. Learn from my experience, finally figured it out. Who gets glory in that? That doesn't happen, that's none of our testimony. If you think it is, you're wrong. That's a, that our testimony, the Spirit will never glorify you in salvation, always Christ. If you have had your eyes illumined to the truth of who Jesus Christ is, and before that, illumined to the truth of who you are, wretched and broken in your sin, the Spirit has been a work in your life. That's called, in Ephesians, spiritual illumination. The Spirit does a preemptive strike, even when you're a non-believer, to make you able to be saved. In the Methodist church I grew up in, it was called God's provenient grace at work in the life of the sinner. Like, he reaches out, he draws you and woos you to yourself. He gives you an illumination that you are indeed a sinner and need a savior, and he points. He shines that floodlight on Jesus where you can't help but see, wait a minute. That's true. Now, that's before you get saved. Then you come to the point of you repent and you put your faith and trust in Christ. Let me tell you how the regenerating work of the Spirit continues. Three things you get the moment you're saved. Number one, you are baptized by the Spirit. What that means is, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is your verse. We've all been baptized by one Spirit into one body. Spirit baptism is this, the moment of salvation, you are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. It's entrance into the body. You're not saved if you're not in the body of Christ. And you're not in the body of Christ unless the Spirit baptizes you in. So at the moment of salvation, you've been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And not only that, he takes up residence in you. Moment of salvation, you're indwelt. Not like he gives you a little dose. The, the Holy Spirit is a, a third person of the Trinity. He doesn't give you a little like, here's some fairy dust, when that works out, I'll give you some more. Like he fully, wholly indwells you and he gives you a great promise, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's all in, you're indwelt, you can't get unindwelt. Moment of conversion, you're in the body because he's baptized you, he's in you because he indwells you, and then here's, the, here's my favorite one, Ephesians 1, you're sealed, you're sealed. Ha <laughs> ha, I love the sealing, like, uh, I love to know that I'm sealed. 
Like, I love to know that the Spirit is a guarantee. If I'm feeling, if any of this stuff that I'm preaching about this morning is like, you know what, that's what's going on in me. Well, then let me tell you something. It says that's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until that which is to come. No matter how many times you mute the GPS, no matter how many times you try to figure it out yourself, stumble around the flesh, you've got a guarantee he sealed you. And you can play the fool and act like a knucklehead and experience all kind of pain this side of glory, but he'll get you to glory because he has baptized you into the body of Christ. And he's taken up residence in you and he's not going anywhere and he sealed you for the day of redemption. That's the moment we're saved. Anybody grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit right now? Woo! Now let me tell you what he then does. Doesn't stop. That's the regenerating work. Then you have the sanctifying work of the Spirit, which is really what our passage is about. Now that you have been declared righteous, baptized by the Spirit in the body, and dwelt by the Spirit, and sealed by the Spirit for the great day of redemption, now he's going to do a steady, progressive work in your life. He's going to sanctify you. It's his role, but this is, as Steve said at the beginning of our series, this is where we cooperate, or not. Hopefully so. This is where we have a role to play, and the idea of The cooperation is the more that we listen to the GPS and do what it says, the more we experience life and peace in Christ. He's not going anywhere if we don't listen. It's just gonna be our experience of him. We can grieve the spirit, which is to not do what he tells, I'm sorry, which is to do what he tells us not to do. We can quench the Holy Spirit, which is to not do what he tells us to do, in which cases we'll experience what the flesh produces, sin, shame, guilt, and despair. It would lead ultimately to death, but see, we've been saved. And so what we realize, we grieve our sin, and we, it, the Spirit brings us back to repentance. And that's why we need to always be repenting of our sin and trusting in Jesus, repenting of our sin. We live a life of repentance and faith. Not one time, my goodness, my uh, pastor growing up used to say, Kenan, every day I pray for a 24-hour supply of the Holy Spirit. I thought that was so weird. Why would you pray for a 24-hour supply? Why not go ahead and get a lifetime? And you know what I learned from that wise man? The Spirit's in us, but he wanted to be controlled by the Spirit. For 20, he wanted to be utterly dependent on the Spirit this day. If you pray one time, God, let me be dependent on you for the next 50 years, you can get about six or seven years out, you're in the, you're, you can get lost, despondent, you've muted that GPS, you're on some dark roads. Every day, start with today, dependent on you to lead me to life and to peace. Every day. So our work in the cooperation of the sanctifying of the Spirit is this, it's to be filled with the Spirit. Now we've said we're already baptized, we're already indwelt, and we're already sealed, but now be filled. Listen carefully. Paul says to the Ephesian church, it's a command. Those three are not commands. They're facts about the Christian's life. The command is to be filled. Here's the context. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, when you're drunk, that alcohol controls you. Paul says, don't let alcohol control you, let the spirit control you. Be filled, command, like you can do it or you can not do it, and you'll get the effects of either one. Be filled means be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So it's telling us surrender to his leadings and be controlled by him. Listen, if you're a Christian, there's nothing else you need to do to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. It already happened or you wouldn't be a Christian. You're not a Christian if you're not in the body, you're not in the body if he's not baptized you. If you're a Christian, there's nothing else you need to do to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He's already in you, all of him. And there's nothing you need to do to be sealed, to have an assurance that you don't already somehow have. If you're saved, you're sealed. But if you're a Christian, 
There is something you need to do in sanctification. Daily surrender. The spirit's at war with the flesh. That flesh craves. Run everything the flesh asks of you by the spirit and let the, spirits, let the spirit be the ace of spades. You listen to what he says and you'll find life and peace. Amen? Um, you know, I, I noticed something about before I was a Christian, uh, I would be in church and there would be all kinds of hymns that we would sing and um, uh, frankly, I, I, uh, many of them I had no uh, idea what they were about but I had heard them so many times that I'd like memorize the tune, you know? I just, uh, my mom would take me to church and I'd sit in the balcony and she'd sing and, I, and some of them I just knew the tune, some of them I even knew the words. I'd hum along, I might even sing along the words on the way home. They, they, they never did anything to me, they're just words and I just knew them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now I'm found, uh, was blind but now I see. It was just a tune, you know, switch the station and now it's ACDC and I could go back, I could interchange the two. It was amazing what I could do in, in my flesh. But let me tell you, when I got saved, when what Jesus told Nicodemus happened, when the Spirit had drawn me to a point of repentance and faith, and when I truly surrendered, and when my mind was converted, and when my uh, soul was set free from an imprisonment, which all of a sudden I had eyes to see, I want to tell you, the next time I heard Amazing Grace, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was the greatest song that had ever been sung. I must have heard it 100 times, I must have sung it 50 times, and I'd never heard it till that day. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch. Oh my gosh. Oh. Saved a wretch like me. I, I was lost. Now I'm found. I was totally blind. Now I see. Couldn't get over that. I couldn't, couldn't get over it. Like, like that's my story. Just, you, you know what verse 10 says? It says it right here. By the way, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. You can't belong to Christ without the spirit. In verse 10, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Like, those words of those hymns, the theology, is it's like my spirit is screaming out, amen. The spirit is alive in me because I'm alive in him. And all of a sudden, those words of those old ancient hymns mean something in me just like they did to the author, just like they did to Paul, just like they do to anyone who's been born of the Spirit because the Spirit's indwelling you and, 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 and you are just that truth, that floodlight's on and that truth comes in and there's something in you that just, just wants to worship. You used to be hostile to that. Can you turn on the station, man? Do we have to listen to that? Now it's like you can't get close enough to the truth of these words. And look what it says. Verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus, like the spirit of God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you guys believe that? That does, you know what? If you really study that thing out, it doesn't just mean you'll be alive today in and amidst your flesh. This actually points, if you look at the verb tense, it's future. We've been talking about present reality of sanctification. This is saying one day you're dead in the ground unless Christ comes while we're alive, which he may do. But if he does not, you're dead in the ground. And here's what it says. One day, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead 
same spirit, same power, is actually going to raise our mortal bodies, our old man, this flesh that continually craves sinful things, bring it into the presence of Christ, and he's going to do something. He's going to glorify me in his presence. Now I'll get a body, a new body that no longer craves what the flesh has craved. It will finally be glorified in him. You guys believe that's going to happen? Some of y'all do. Uh, why do you think that's gonna happen? Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but how do you know you're in Christ Jesus? Well, look at your life. And is there a point where the cross intersects your life? And everything before that cross looked a certain way, and then everything on the back side of the cross looked an entirely, and the reason it looks so different is because you think different. Your mind was set on the flesh. Now your mind is set on the spirit. There's sometimes you live here like you did there, but you can't enjoy it anymore. I used to not be able to enjoy Christ. Now I can't enjoy my sin. That is your assurance. You know what's true of you if that's your story? You've been baptized by the spirit. You've been indwelt by the spirit. You've been sealed by the spirit. And even now, the GPS is on. He is calling you according to his purposes. He is shining light on the truth of God's word that will guide you to paths everlasting. Just surrender, one day at a time. Your will, not mine today, Lord. Lead me by your Holy Spirit. I just wanna follow. I wanna end the service a little differently today. There's a song that I heard a couple years ago that, uh, that we sing quite often in this church. I'd never heard it before, but I love this song so much that uh, I brought it to harvest, and, uh, and it's one we sing often, but, but uh, I wonder if you've ever heard it. Does that make sense? Remember, I I'd, I'd, I'd sung a lot of songs a lot of times before I ever really heard them, and I think a lot of times Sunday morning we're distracted, there's things going on. We might be humming right along the tune, but have you ever really heard it? There is a song that I think captures this. This hymn, I think, is singing Romans 8, 4 through 11. It's one of my favorites. I'm going to ask just a few of our worship leaders to come up, and here's what I'm going to ask. There may be something in you that desires to jump out of your seat and sing, and uh, don't worry. We're We're going to sing this thing before we leave here today, but right now, I want us to be still. Uh, stay in your seat, just think, close your eyes, meditate. I don't want you to get lost in the tune or the melody or what somebody's next to you is doing. I want you to be still and let these words bathe over you, the theology of Romans 8, 4 through I want you to hear it. My prayer is that something in your soul would awaken, maybe for the very first time. Maybe you'll say, oh my goodness, that's me. Others of you may, have, may happen all the time, but my prayer is this morning, something in the spirit in you resonates with the truth of his word. Just take a minute. Hear, hear these words. Hear this hymn.
I heard that it was, um, gosh, it was just like three years ago, and I was at a deal for all pastors, and um, this, this, we were singing this song, and all of a sudden, I had this just spiritual experience. It was like I wasn't singing it anymore. I was hearing it, and those words were like arrows that were piercing my heart, and I just came undone. Like, I literally started crying. Uh, I had a guy with me who's like a theologian scholar, so it's embarrassing to cry anyway, but especially in front of those guys, and and, and I just, uh, he literally leaned, leaned over. I've never had tears pouring off my face. And he leaned over and he goes, hey, man, are you okay? 
And it was the weirdest thing. And I, I looked back and I said, yeah, yeah, like I'm great. And I'm sure I looked really weird to him, you know, this guy's. And I just sat down and I just had this thing where I was going, you know what? That is the work of Christ in me. Like that's my testimony. We sang it. That's my story. That is what he's done and what he's doing. And I'm so thankful that the Spirit of God is at work, that I'm not left unto my flesh and its cravings will lead to death and hostility to God. I was there, but he has saved and redeemed. And he is sanctifying me even now. And I remember the whole place had cleared out. I was the last one in there sitting on a wooden pew about the fifth row in the center when my tears finally dried up. And I had a heart that was so full. And you know, I knew there'll be another day where I, where I mute the GPS. I know I'll do it. I know I'll do something stupid and sinful. Probably won't even be as far away as I want it to be. But I know whose I am. And I'm thankful that even when I live out of the flesh, I don't live according to the flesh. The Spirit has taken over. He is mine, I am his. We're gonna celebrate communion. Can I tell you what this is? This little, this little cracker right here, this is representative of the body of Christ. You know what we learned? He condemned our sin in his flesh. This is an emblem of the blood of Christ. He will be an offering for you, poured out like a drink offering in our place. And so what's the result? The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us who now walk according to the Spirit. If you're thankful for life in Christ, this is an act of celebration. That's what it is. We celebrate the goodness of the gospel. And when we come to the table this morning, I mean, let your soul rejoice that he's made you alive and he's making you alive. And you know what? One day, the one who's making you alive this day, he'll raise you from the dead. He will raise us. Are you sure? I'm sure of it. What he's doing in you today proves what he'll do in you one day. Father, as we take the elements, as we take communion Oh, God, I just pray that we would feel a sense of our aliveness that is our experience in Christ. And God, if there is anyone here who goes, I have no idea what this man is talking about. If someone here that maybe thinks I am crazy in the way they thought they were crazy when they received the Spirit at Pentecost, I pray that your Holy Spirit, even now, would do the work of regenerating, would convince and convict that, that man, that woman of their sin, their need for a savior, and even now, they may step into a joyful surrender. They might lay their life down and receive you the way you laid your life down to receive us, and salvation may go forth in this place by the power of your spirit, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Will you raise someone from the dead this morning? Will you magnify Christ in that way? We thank you for your body broken, your blood shed. We celebrate the gospel this morning. We celebrate life in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The tables are open. 
Thank you for listening to the audio from Harvest Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Feel free to make copies and distribute this content, but please do not charge for those copies.